So one of the mis most misunderstood aspects to, to health, uh, especially in our modern world or our optimization world, is really talking about bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Like, what's it all about? Is it for me? Is it for you? Like, who should be on it? Who shouldn't? What are some of the things you need to address to consider? And, and then maybe you're not even thinking about it and you're like, what is this BHRT? Mm -hmm. So all of those questions hopefully are answered in this podcast, but also like, when to use it and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, there usually is confusion between BHRT and HRT. And, you know, a lot of people think they're one and the same, but we're hoping to differentiate that for you in this podcast so you understand if it's something that you could utilize or uh, the other aspects that we bring in when it comes to hormone health. Yeah, and we touched uh, upon some of those like key criteria in the Women's Health Initiative that was unfortunately blasted out to the world that hormones are bad. So we demystified some of it, but you know, so feel free to tune into what we have to share. And again, feel free to do your own research, of course. Um, all that being said, BHRT, can we use it for men, women? What's the time to use it? What are some supportive tools do you use alongside? Uh, what are some of the testing that you want to definitely assess before going on to some sort of therapy? What are some of the things or building blocks you should be doing in prevention or preparation or in conjunction? All of those things are, are part of the topic today. So you can probably tell we love this topic mm -hmm. and um, let us know what your thoughts are. Welcome to the Health Ignited podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones and longevity to relationships, parenting, meditation and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. So if you've been following us for a period of time, you know that one of our favorite topics is to talk about hormone optimization, hormone health and all things in between, right? Yes. And when we talk about hormones, we often talk about them as they are the communicators that really help our body, our brain to communicate so that it's working efficiently and it's working for us. Mm -hmm. So hormones in women tend to have more of a, a natural monthly rhythm, typically premenopause. In men, we call it irritable male syndrome, where we can be on one moment and the next moment we can be off, meaning our, our hormones tend to have uh, a lot more volatility and fluctuation throughout our day. And so often we're looking for things to just optimize maybe the monthly cycle or optimize our energy levels and focus and drive through the day. And so one of our favorite tools is, is from a company called uh, Organifi and the product is called Harmony. So let's talk a little bit about what is Harmony? It's a great name. Yes, <laughs> it is a really great name, especially because this is a product that I use in my luteal phase because it really is one that captures all the herbs and things that you need in order for your luteal phase, which is the second half of your cycle, to feel like you are in harmony. Because anytime we're feeling any sort of discomfort with our hormones, we are out of rhythm. And what this allows us to do with the chase tree, with the shatavati, it's giving us adrenal support, it's supporting our liver, it's supporting our nervous system, it's supporting gut. our gut, it's supporting our pituitary gland, that then supports that communication. So it's a beautiful one to use in your luteal phase, especially probably at a higher dose and maybe a lesser dose um, in your follicular phase. And for those women that aren't 
cycling, you can still use it from full moon to new moon. So it's just one of those really great products that you can use in tea because everybody knows that I love tea. Mm -hmm. And you can add that into your nightly or daily routine. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then for men, because it's got some nutritive tonics like maca, it's got ginger and turmeric and some of these other things. So obviously, we can use as well. Um, however, in our household, if there's harmony in our cupboard, I get a slap on the wrist and say, you know better, that's not yours to touch. It's it, mine. It's very tasty, which is part of the reason why I'm not allowed to use it. That's right. But men can definitely still use it. Yeah. So <laughs> if you are interested, um, you can use Dr. Jensen um, 20 as a code and get 20% off. Hey everybody, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen here. It's a Tuesday evening and uh, I had to peel Sonia off the couch to do our podcast, right? Yeah, it's not necessarily the thing I want to do right now, but I know I always have fun once we get started. Yeah, one of the things that Sonia and I realize about each other is that we learn from one another when we're speaking like this. Like I, I sometimes get to hear insight from Sonia that I just wouldn't get, you know, on the day-to-day -day basis. We get so busy, all of us do, with kids and life and everything. And sometimes the connection points you have with your partner are just like, hey, how'd the day go? How'd this, how was your sleep? Uh, my, my tummy's feeling off. Something ate was off. Um, or it's all about the kids. Or like, it's all about the how kids. How was their day? How are they feeling? What were their yeah. camps like? What was school like? All the things. Yeah, how was work, mm -hmm. right? And then you kind of just check all the little boxes of communication. And, and, and sometimes, you know, obviously, at nighttime or whatever, maybe we'll go in a little bit deeper of a conversation. But often I find just I'm blown away by what you say mm. on this podcast because you're so enlightened and intelligent. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something a friend of mine were actually discussing around um, evening time and relationships and how we find find it challenging as moms. I mean, me not so much anymore because my kids are a little bit older, but I know for a lot of young moms out there that have kids basically hanging off of them all day, that evening time is just so precious because sacred. they want it's sacred because they want that me time and their body to themselves and their space to themselves so that they can recalibrate and recenter themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's also tea time for Sonia at night. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So let's get going so we can get to tea time. <laughs> So we questions that we get so often and, and often like reasons for why people come to see us is they want to talk about hormones, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's what your book is all about, Woman Unleashed. If you haven't checked it out, that's it right back there. Um, but often it's it's around like, okay, it, I'm maybe perimenopausal, uh, menopausal or a, a man. I'm, I'm noticing some changes in my hormonal system. Um, when is the time or is there a time to use hormone therapy? Mm -hmm. So maybe like, let's start off by differentiating between hormone therapy and bioidentical hormone therapy. Mm -hmm. And then like, who's it for? Yeah. I think the simplest way that I like to describe it is that if you think about um, hormone therapy, so like birth control pills, for example, any sort of synthetic hormone, if your hormone looks like a circle the synthetic hormone looks like a square. It's not going to fit. But the bioidentical or human, human, human identical hormones are also shaped like a circle. So chemically, the compounds are identical. So your body will recognize it better than it would something synthetic. 
And, you know, we can go deeper into birth control and all those things that maybe on another podcast and just like what the side effects or what can happen when we're taking synthetic hormone. But when you're taking bioidentical, it is uh, just more likely that your receptor sites will recognize it and therefore, therefore utilize it the way they would your own hormones. Mm -hmm. So yeah, perfect. Now, one of the biggest um, worries that people have around hormone replacement therapy is really stems from a study called the Women's Health, Health Initiative which we're not going to get into enormous detail here, but we'll mention a few of the like uh, the issues with it. But um, this is something that's talked about on many different platforms, many different podcasts. And if you do want to dive deeper into it, please do. So here's a short synopsis. Basically, they they took people in a category of health that, that were um, skewed towards an unhealthy lifestyle. They may have been smokers, obese, like there, there was a large percentage of the people in that study that just weren't really taking good care of themselves. So it's already like, that's a population that needs to do some work already. The second factor is that these are all women way past menopause. So it's not the typical category people would even consider using hormone replacement therapy, but that was the selection. So they were way past uh, the typical time. And, um, and so then the design of the study was to take two groups of people, women with still with uterus, uh, they were on uh, estrogen only um, therapy, which would, in the case of the study was Premarin, so pregnant mare horse urine. And then the other arm was those who did not have uh, uterus, so had the hysterectomy, and they were on something called progestin, medroxyprogesterone is another name for it. So uh, like a non-bioidentical form of progesterone talking about the square, trying to make it work like a circle. And then they were also on Premarin. And so basically there was a, there was a relative risk that was looked at with this study to show that women in the progesterone group, so the ones with a hysterectomy, that there was a, a relative risk increase uh, of breast cancer by 25%. So to put that in perspective, essentially that's uh, looking at a relative risk in a study versus an absolute risk are two different things. So basically, they're comparing uh, the relative incidence of a breast cancer showing up in comparison to the other study arm. So basically, in the Premarin study arm, with uh, without the progesterone or the medroxyprogesterone, there was four out of a thousand people uh, who developed breast cancer. In the, the medroxyprogesterone group, or the ones with the hysterectomy, it was five out of a thousand people. So they looked at that, and the relative risk between the two is twenty five percent, but really the absolute risk reduction was like less than one. So, but unfortunately, like the way that the results of this study were calculated, were just basically showing that all hormones <laughs> cause an increased risk for cancer. Now there's lots of other things that one could break down with the study, but that's sort of the biggest fear point that just gets propagated with regards to hormone therapy. And again, that's not bioidentical. That's not in a typical age range. It's not someone working on all the underlying factors that lead to optimal hormone health and then adding in hormones, like those kinds of studies just haven't been done as mm -hmm. far as I know. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good description because that is usually one of the main questions is around safety and can I take this or do I have to take this forever? So that's also something I think that we should address. And 
like you were saying, the population that was looked at there was way past menopause, but really it's the women that are transitioning into perimenopause that are coming in with the challenges of insomnia or heavy bleeds or just irregular bleeding now, um, memory issues, um, breast swelling and tenderness or vaginal dryness, skin dryness, night sweats, hot flashes, all these things are showing up in perimenopause so that's usually when women come in and ask okay well what's the solution do i have to go on hormones or is there another path that we can take and so the first thing that we like to do is um test so um i like to do the dutch test also some so what when you say dutch test mm-hmm. just so people know what that means yeah so that's a urine test that's looking at your hormonal metabolites it's um the way i describe it to women is that it's basically looking at how your hormones are communicating and how your liver is processing them and how your body will then utilize them so it gives us a really in-depth picture of what your circadian rhythm is so it's looking at your dhea it's looking at your cortisol your melatonin all of those components your testosterone all your different types of estrogen, your different types of progesterone. So it's really giving us this full picture of what's going on at that moment. When you are doing just blood work, you're looking at um, spurts of hormones that are showing up and because hormones come out in pulses and it's not giving you that understanding of how they're actually communicating with one another, like those in-between enzymes that are necessary for conversion. So some things are better done um, through blood work. So for example, like sex hormone binding globulin is one that you want to do through blood work. Thyroid hormone is also another one that you can do through blood work. But I would say all of the other ones, you really want to get a urine test done so that you know um, accurately what's going on in your body. So once you have that testing, that's when we can talk about you know, relating that to what you're feeling and how we can support the body. Because as you heard us talk about when it comes to hormones, it's not just about the hormones. They're your communicators. So they're taking a message from A and like relaying it to cell B, but the environment is feeding it the messages. So we have to shift the environment at the same time. And yes, when women come with like, you know, they haven't slept in months, their relationship is really challenged. They're very depressed. Like all these things are going on. I may go straight to hormones because I want to give them that feeling of themselves again. And then at the same time, we do do all that underlying work, like the detoxification, the gut, the, the stress management, sleep. the sleep, like all of these little, little and big things that are so necessary to address when we're in that um, time of transition. Yeah. And, and these are all things we discuss even before discussing hormones. Mm-hmm. There, there's a time, actually, I think when we first started doing hormones, we just kind of said, okay, everyone can benefit from hormones. Mm-hmm. And so then that was often the first treatment strategy to your point. And then... And it did help everyone. It did. Yeah. I mean, but let's not say everyone, but let's say like... Most people. Eight, eight out of 10 people, it was yeah. like pretty profound what but, it could do. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, some would hit plateaus. And that's when we really started to understand that, you know, we're having to increase dosages now instead of like seeing things shift for these people. So that's where we really had to educate that is not just about taking the hormone. Yes, it took away your hot flashes. It took away your night sweats. You're probably losing weight now too, but let's also think about what's on your plate, what's on your mind. All those other things are going to then help support the efficiency of the hormone that you're actually taking. Yeah. 
So let's say someone comes in and they're like, you know, I think my hormones are off because of all the symptoms you listed off, like the weight gain, the fatigue, the insomnia, the night sweats, maybe the, the hot flashes, uh, whatever, whatever. The li list of A through Z, and they're convinced that they want to do hormones. Uh, they want to they want to do an assessment. They want to do hormones, and you know, are you are you right off the bat? Okay, definitely, let's do some hormones. Or are you are you sort of pulling them back? Okay, let's talk about what influences these cells. What influences the hormones? Hormones are response. They're not the underlying cause. Like, how do you like help people mm -hmm. at least? like compartmentalize what it is that they know that they want to do before they just maybe jump in and maybe they still do jump in, but it's yeah. the point being, it's very unique. Right? It is very it's unique. Very and it, like I was saying before, if a woman is in so much pain where she can't even think about detoxifying her home or her body at that moment, because she can't even go anywhere because of her heavy bleeds or her and her husband are having challenges now because her libido is so low. She's not going to want to hear any of those other things. She's not going to actually hear them. Mm -hmm. So I think in those moments, getting her to feel just a glimpse of hope is the most important thing. And sometimes that is what where that's necessary of going straight to the hormones. And then as we're doing that, yes, in that first visit too, I am still educating of like, here's the, this is still a band-aid solution, but here are the other things that are causing this to happen. And it didn't just show up today. It's from, you know, decades of habits and actions and beliefs that we were carrying with us for this moment. So it really depends on who's sitting in front of me and where they're at and how much they can actually receive in that moment. Mm -hmm. And you know, on, on the man's side, like there's a general trend for, for men to now start to be more interested in optimizing their health. Mm -hmm. And so we definitely see a lot more men that are they're coming in just saying like, I think my testosterone is low. Let's go on testosterone. Now, obviously it's naturopathic doctors in Canada. We can't prescribe it, but we can definitely assess for it. And then we connect them with a, a GP that can. And, and here's the, here's the thing. We, we always go through the same discussion and some men definitely are hypogonadal, meaning they're, they're not producing enough testosterone. Some, some men have this higher amounts of SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, which is interfering with their testosterone. So why are they having that? Maybe give them an idea. Yeah. Um, what I was just going to say is like, there's many like ways that someone can have the symptoms of testosterone deficiency mm -hmm. and that's what like testing can be so helpful. Mm -hmm. But then, and then just to say another one before we really talk about SHBG, because it is a really important marker, someone could be insulin resistant. You'd be mm -hmm. running super high levels of insulin, which is a huge interference for testosterone. So sometimes even a starting point is becoming more metabolically flexible and really learning about how to optimize hormones through the, your circadian rhythm, but also through your timing of meals, timing of exercise. You know, there's, there's a whole lot there metabolically and lifestyle wise that can really support and augment a hormone program. Yeah. And that goes for women too. Yeah. So often women, you know, will take the hormones and again, feel really good maybe for the first couple of weeks or even the first couple of months and all of a sudden hit a plateau. And yet we're not, if we're not addressing that insulin resistance, you're not actually efficiently absorbing those nutrients. Your, your receptors aren't actually going to take in that progesterone or that estrogen and that testosterone that your body is craving for. Mm -hmm. So the, this blood marker, super important, SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, it's manufactured in the liver. It's decreased when when insulin is high and so it's super interesting to think that um, 98 percent of all your testosterone is bound up to this this protein 
And so in someone who's low insulin, that technically would mean they have more, or sorry, high insulin, it would technically mean that they've got lower SHBG, which technically would also mean that that testosterone that is there should be as free and available as possible. Now, without going into the numbers, getting specifics, because um, it, it doesn't maybe make as much sense if you haven't seen this before, but looking at the total testosterone in general is really inefficient. If, if you don't have someone's fasting insulin, you don't have someone's SHBG to reference, and or even in a man's case, someone's uh, estrogen or estradiol, and then, and then there's DHEA, another marker that can be looked at. So there's a lot of fluctuations there. Now, someone who, a man who's typically higher in estrogen would typically also show a higher SHBG that can also, so high estrogen states can also drive up this protein, which inhibits testosterone. Um, another one might be just really high stress. Uh, another one could be high thyroid function, uh, high thyroxine, high T4. It's not converting properly into T3 that can interfere with SHBG. And then obviously one of the big ones that we look at all the time, high toxic burden. The high toxicity load is going to drive a lot of stress on that liver and it's going to coagulate and interfere with hormone utilization, which is like some of our whole underlying teaching for people. If you want optimized hormone function, you got to detoxify the cells. So looking at these markers in relation to how someone's feeling is super important. But let's take the example of someone who has decent levels of testosterone, decent levels of, of sex hormone binding globulin, um, but they're insulin dominant or there's insulin resistance, there's, there's inflammatory markers that are elevated in the blood. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on. Does it make sense to go on to a, to a hormone like testosterone or does it make sense to clean up the mess? Mm-hmm. You know, and these are the individual questions and, and assessments that I'm constantly communicating with the people because at the end of the day, just taking exogenous hormone is not dealing with the underlying problem. And that's by far the most important thing to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is that temporary relief if you don't do that underlying work, especially with that insulin and that metabolic flexibility. And, you know, we've talked before how things do change as we age, our estrogen starts to fall. So this is for women, Um, progesterone and testosterone have already been falling since the age of 25. So now we're already moving into these phases with like lower hormones than what's um, required for longevity and throw in the burdens from life of like different stressors, um, the hormones in our foods, the hormones in our environment and all the various things. If we're not detoxifying those out, we're just throwing more hormones into the picture and not really teaching the body how to communicate. And communication is like the key thing that's going to help us um, move or step into longevity. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that SHBG that you brought up um, with blood work for women, the way what you might also tie that to is your thyroid hormone. It'll also bind up your thyroid, which will then cause you to gain more weight and have less lean muscle because testosterone gives you that lean muscle and the thyroid is related to your metabolism. And then the other element with SHBG is if you have a history of PCOS, um, you're going to have lower SHBG. So now there's more testosterone available. And that's usually where women will have challenges with like hair growth or even hair loss. Um, so those, that, that marker is so important if you're going to get your, um, hormones tested from your doctor. Mm-hmm. Do we, should we talk a little bit about DHEA mm-hmm. as well? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So DHEA, I, I relate this to, to people as it's for mind, mood, memory, and metabolism, but essentially DHEA is a balancing point for cortisol, our main stress hormone. So we see this a lot with blood work and, and also obviously in the Dutch test. 
where DHEA is, is one of the first sort of signs of like this chronic stress that can show up in our hormone profile because it's really our buoyancy and our ability to overcome stress. It's also a precursor hormone for estrogen and testosterone. And it's very uncommon when, when the cortisol gas pedal has been pressed down for you know, a good portion of our life for decades on, on end. We're constantly in the do mode, do mode, and not in the recovery and repair mode. The DHA can really burn out. Like when you're supposed to be at tea time. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just, it's another one of those markers are the really are telling of like someone's hormone resiliency and to what Sonia was saying before, it's not always just about total volume of these hormones. It's really about the communication and how sensitive we are to these hormones. Mm -hmm. So someone may do just fine on like a mid range level of DHEA, whatever that means. But there's some really interesting research to show that really low levels of DHA or uh, put people at a higher, greater risk factor for Alzheimer's dementia and, also, and a bunch of other illnesses uh, that are related to brain health. Mm-hmm. So it, it is one of those hormones, I think, that is really important to look at the preservation and resiliency and prevention. Um, and it should be, you know, all these hormones should be looked at in the context of the individual. Mm-hmm. Right. And how they're communicating with each other. So a lot of you that listen to this podcast are actually in the US and DHEA is prevalent for you to get over the counter at really high doses. And I've had patients where we put, I put them on like a certain dose, like usually quite low when it comes to women. And then, you know, they see, oh, I can just order this from the US and it's non-issue. I'm just going to up it because it's like the anti-aging more hormone, better. more is better. And then they come back and, you know, you can just see it in their face where they're feeling a little bit of shame because they think I'm going to judge them I'm like well no I'm not judging you at all it's just you have to listen to what I said because there was a reason for that prescription that you just don't want to go out there and you know hear that DHEA is amazing and all of a sudden go self-prescribe yeah yeah because um, even some men like if you take too much DHEA you can get increased conversion to estrogen mm-hmm. and then some women maybe some women who are more prone to estrogen responsive cancers. Like yeah. if you upregulate the DHEA and, and you're getting this high conversion, is it is it aggravating something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could get into a whole other podcast re- regarding like testosterone. Is it an aggravating force for prostate health and the, that kind of stuff? And, uh, you know, I think maybe we could just do a, a man only one uh, to really get into that. But there are a bunch of like, there are criteria. So like, what are some reasons not to use hormone therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if there has been a history of breast cancer, and especially if it is um, hormone positive, so that's definitely a time where we don't utilize um, hormones. And other times um, when I really do see there's such a toxic load that if anything, it's going to do more harm than good. We don't go straight to hormones at that point as well. Yeah, And then there, you know, on the progesterone side of things, mm-hmm. there are some women who don't do well on progesterone. Yes. Right. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I think the percentage is 15 to 18% of women will actually become more depressed and even have psychotic um, events happen um, on progesterone and, you know, progesterone. And I talk about progesterone like this too. It's like the warm hug hormone. It's the one that we're all very deficient in, or we assume that we're deficient in because the symptoms may look like that. And then all of a sudden we take it, but we can't, um, the brain can't actually convert it properly and it's actually creating these other like, I'm sorry, spinoffs. Spin-offs. Yeah. So then all of a sudden we're, mm-hmm, yeah. we're more anxious and depressed. Like we're just having all these things show up in our mind that probably weren't there before. And that's because of the progesterone. Yeah. And then some, for some women I find too, that just like way too lethargic, 
Yeah. Because progesterone can be like a miracle, seemingly a miracle for sleep. And mm -hmm. some women, it's just the thing that just, like you said, it's the warm yeah. bug. It's a complete transformation. Yeah. And then others, like, like you said, the smaller percentage, some women don't do well. And this is why like having some guidance and feedback and coaching and obviously working with a mm -hmm. doctor on these things is mm -hmm. super important. So you yeah. get really clear. Yeah. Cause progesterone turns into cortisol. And if a woman's that, you know, conversion isn't corrected or her nervous system just isn't in a place where it can read the hormones properly and she's shunting all of that progesterone that she's getting in into cortisol very, very quickly, she's going to be in this like high cortisol state. And that's usually where there's confusion then that shows up. It's like, am I depressed? Am I anxious? Am I, there's, cause this actually just happened to a patient of mine just mm. a little while ago. And that's why I'm speaking to it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then what about hormone cycling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely important, especially for a menopausal woman that might be doing these hormones daily. We usually talk about taking breaks um, if it's once a week and maybe even after a little while. And it's often what I notice those that are sensitive to their hormones and really tuned in with what's going on in their body. And they're doing the work, they're detoxing, they're doing all they know when they can take the breaks. And then they know if they actually need to go back on them, because they're doing all that other work. So I do think it's important to take breaks from them. Mm -hmm. Um, now what about some like, is there other, like outside of hormones, is there some common like tools that you like to use to support women's hormonal cycle or, or for men, we can, I can speak to a few different things, but mm -hmm. anything that you found to be really important for, let's say most women, let's yes. say for hot flashes or for night sweats yeah. or, or some, some supportive nutrients. Yeah. Well, something to understand in perimenopause is that we have an obligatory cycles. So, you know, a woman might be like, oh gosh, my um, cycle all of a sudden it's 40 days or 45, 60 days. And that's because we're not actually ovulating at those times. So there's a lot of chaos that ends up happening in um, the, the mind because of that hormone change. So mood, there's mood swings and that's usually when the hot flashes start to show up. So whatever we can do to still create regularity and still support LH um, while the eggs are still there, I think that's going to be the most important thing. So herbs like chase tree are really great at doing that, at creating that rhythm. Um, other herbs like maca, um, there's another one called shatavri that I love also, and then making sure that we're doing something to support the liver at the same time. So taking like B vitamins, turmeric, um, for some women, it might be dim. So again, it's going to be unique to the, the individual, but whatever you can do to create rhythm. So I actually have an ebook, a hormone ebook for those women that are listening that are interested, please um, maybe tag us on Instagram or send us an email and get in touch with us so we can send that to you. And it kind of gives you this outline of like what foods to eat in that first half of your cycle and what other things that you can do, seeds and oils and whatnot, and what you can do in the second half. And, um, you know, in the next couple of months, I might have something else for you that's coming out that's also going to help support that rhythm. And if you feel like you're so all over the place that you don't even know what your rhythm is, I encourage women to go with their moon cycle. So from full moon to new moon is more like that luteal phase and the new moon to full moon would be more like um, follicular. So towards ovulation. So there's always a way to kind of start creating uh, more of a rhythm. Mm -hmm. And then perimenopause is like some of the most volatile 
hormone mm. volatility that, that a woman may experience, right? Yeah, because naturally your body steps into estrogen dominance. So there's this huge gap between the two. And then when that's happening, that's usually where the heavier bleeds show up. Or if you have fibroids and all of a sudden you are bleeding more because there's that transition that's happening, moods and everything's changing at that time. Grief is showing up because now we're stepping into a new stage in life. And there's just so much going on in those years that I think the best thing we could do is one, give yourself grace that that's happening and just like notice what's happening and what you can do that you can control. And then other things really seek help so that you can, again, it's just stepping back into rhythm because we're just pulled out of rhythm in those moments. Mm-hmm. And I think another like one to pay attention to, like you as really great, how you talked about the, the two like phases of a woman's cycle and how to sort of support um, certain herbs and things like that. And then there's just sort of some of the basic things like B vitamins are really helpful for liver function, which can be really, especially for women who have been mm-hmm. on birth control pill, but it's really important part of detoxification, healthy liver function. Often B vitamins can really support it on a hormone program mm-hmm. as could uh, magnesium at nighttime mm-hmm. to really support that, that shift into progesterone, right? Mm-hmm. As like Zinc and copper. Zinc and copper, a couple others. Um, and then there's, you know, the core essential cell membrane tools and uh, it's, uh, the cell membrane fats, the fatty acids, the amino acids, fatty acids, obviously building blocks to all the hormones. Uh, you could probably have like a, a huge, massive list of all the things that are going to support hormones because they're all like, they're, they're such a, an integral part to just overall cellular function. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of going to the huge laundry list, obviously the, the goal with everybody is to try to find you the unique targeted systems of the body and the unique targeted deficiency within that individual and then you can do broader brush strokes for some of the core things that are typically beneficial for people mm-hmm. but again like the low-hanging fruit is your 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 lifestyle your circadian rhythm your feast and fasting cycles you know your exercise cycles your stress responses. stress responses getting some assessments done so you can see what your hormonal profile is looking like. Maybe you've got some underlying inflammatory things that are not addressed and, and then obviously addressing toxicity and all of that stuff can be surrounded and supported inside the bioidentical hormone program. Mm-hmm. I love how you knew I didn't want to do a podcast today and you started talking about hormones, knowing that. But that's what you love to talk mm-hmm. about. Yeah. It's the only way to get her, Smart. get her open and talking. <laughs> Uh, cool. So if you have any questions, as Sonia mentioned, um, you know, reach out for the hormone book that's or the hormone, well, her hormone book, which is Woman Unleashed, but also the ebook. And um, please let us know, like, have you tried BHRT? What are your thoughts on it? Does it freak you out? Is it something you've tried and you really love? Um, you know, what are the questions you have around hormones in general? Because, um, you know, this this helps us to create more content for you guys and, and helps us see what it is that you're, you're really curious about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hormones are, it's a big topic. And it's one I think that is eventually on everyone's mind. And the more you understand, again, going back to that communication piece, that they're just your communicators, they are not the cause of what's going on. So if we can support your environment, we can support the hormones, then the hormones can start to support you. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. 
Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe. 